0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Lockdown Cavaliers. As always, I'm your host, Chris Manning from Through the Sword and Hardwood Paroxysm. Uh, today is going to be our weekly mailbag show. I know we haven't done one of these in a little bit, but I uh, just had some stuff going on. We're getting a ton of questions, but we got a couple good ones today. Uh, I'm going to tease just a couple other things as well, and we're going to hop right into it. I'm going to be a shorter show, and as always, uh, if you want to have your question answered on next week's show, you can submit it to lockdowncalves at gmail.com, on Twitter at LockedOnCavs at gmail.com, or on Twitter at LockedOnCavs, excuse me. And uh, you can sort of submit it to me on Twitter at Rights. You can drop them on our Facebook page. You can find it at LockedOnCavs. Um, remember, you can find us on iTunes, Audio Boom, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, you basically can find us. And remember, you can find us on FanDrag Sports. Uh, We're on today's Fast Breaks Cavs page, their NBA site. Um, so you can check us out there, and if you go on Fear the Sword, we have a whole group just of Lockdown Cast podcast. So if you're a big Fear the Sword reader, uh, you can definitely just find the show very easily there. Uh, and I just want to thank people again for sending in questions. We appreciate it, uh, and we'll get this started. So uh, I'm gonna mispronounce his name, so I apologize. But it's uh, his Twitter name is Aso Paul. It's A S A F O underscore um, P A U L L and Kawabana Babachi. If I mispronounce your name, shoot me a tweet. Uh, and I'll make sure I get it right next time. But thanks for listening. So, uh, any truth to the rumor that Jarrett's contract is dependent on the Cavs giving Chris Smith a deal to back up Kyrie? Um, No. Uh, I, d- I would ask you this. Where did you get it? Where did you get that news? Where did you see exactly uh, who would put that out there? I have not seen that from the people that I would say matter, <laughs> to be quite honest. Uh, you haven't seen that from Mick Meneman. You haven't seen that from Varden. You haven't seen that from Lloyd or Chris Haynes or people that are covering the team on a day-to-day basis. Um, that is not the hang-up in the Jr. Smith deal. Based on their reporting and my own reporting, uh, I can tell you that is not the problem there. So, Chris Smith obviously was someone that, that has been in camps before, because maybe because of Jr. a little bit, but um, that, that would not be the hold-up. Just remember, consider where you're getting information. Trust actual reporters, not a Twitter accounts that are going to take things out of context. And... Uh, do a bad job of explaining what uh, actually is going on in the NBA. Go to the actual source. Don't just you know follow one of those aggregators, retweet it, and think that's accurate. That's my word of advice for the day. Um, and by the way, if you're wondering about Chris Smith, if he would be a good backup point guard, he wouldn't be. Um, he's not a very good player. He hasn't really ever been an NBA quality player. Um, and I would just say that he he's not someone that I I would say the Cavs should have even interest in. Um, if, if that was what JR was worried about, that's uh, not great. So, um, Perry Kellis sent us an email and asked, and this is a little bit of another question, so I, I apologize to Perry for us just getting to this now, but uh, thanks for submitting it. So, uh, what do you think Channing Fry's three-point percentage will look like next season? I think he found his niche in the playoffs to become a high-percentage shooter. Perry, that's a great question. Um, I'm a big Channing Fry guy. I think he defended a lot better last year than I think maybe we could have expected as we talked about with Matt Moore earlier this week. Um, he's a, His best role is a three-point shooter for his career. He's a 38.6% shooter uh, from behind the arc. With the Cavs last year, he was at 37.7% on 4.4 attempts per game. Uh, With Orlando in 2.8 attempts per game, he's at 39.7%. He's hovered around 40% uh, a lot of his career. The last time he was at 40%, though, was in 2009-2010 when he was 26 playing with the Suns. So 40% or that high above 40% when he was at 43 last time we went over. uh, Maybe a bit of a stretch, but I think 39-ish is a a good percentage for him. Um, He's really going to get a lot of clear open looks on this team. His role on this team is really just to shoot threes. It is just to help space the floor for LeBron, for Kyrie Irving, for the rest of the team, for Kevin Love, for Amon Jumper, whoever. Uh, he's going to take most of his shots from behind the arc. I mean, last year with the Cavs, 6.2 uh, attempts per game overall. 4.4 of those come from behind the arc. So uh, that, to me, is just a indicator that he is going to shoot a lot of threes. And that that is his role. I'm going to go out and say 39% is where I think he ends up. I think higher is possible. Um, I think the thing with Fry to note is that his best role is really going to be on bench units. Um, When he's playing with LeBron James and maybe Mike Dunleavy because he can also create some space there, I think there really is only that there's just this scenario where, um, he's just going to just be a great pick-and-pop player. He's just going to get to shoot a lot of threes and just play that role and fill it perfectly. You look at what he does, to me, it makes so much sense to make him a focal point, or at least a very big part of bench units. Um, I My dream lineup with him is to run out Schumper to point as a nominal point guard, Dunleavy, Richard Jefferson, LeBron, and Fry, because... At that point, he's facing the floor with Dunleavy. Teams have to come for both of them. Richard Jefferson is a passable three-point shooter. And Chum, if, if he's the worst shooter on the floor, you can we can work with that, especially if he can uh, get back up to about 33% last year after really struggling last year and finishing, I think, at 29%. So um, Fry is going to be a huge part of this cast team. He's going to be a, a very good three-point shooter again. Um, he's 32 or 33, I believe. Yeah, he's uh, 33 right now, uh, which, you know, He's gonna fade at somebody. He's been in the NBA ten years, but uh, he's gonna be useful on this team. His skills translate well; they are gonna, they are gonna age well. Um, and I would say thirty nine percent, a little bit above his career average, is a pretty good, uh, reasonable expectation of what he can be. There is some variance. There is some variance in three point shooting, and it does go up and down a bit. But um, thirty nine being the best, well, maybe for over forty being the best if he just has a really really good year, and that would be really nice for the Cavs. But he definitely can be. Uh, a very good three point shooter and I think there's a chance he has the best three point percentage um, on the Cavs when the season ends I think it's either him uh, Dunleavy or Kyrie Irving will finish or J.R. Smith but one of those four guys will finish with the best three point percentage on the team and if I had to pick one coming out of the clubhouse just because of uh, what he'll be doing and what kind of shots he'll get I think Fry would be my clubhouse leader um, as you start the season so then we have Peter Wells asked about um, Dante Jones. Um, he said, "Remember Dante Jones hitting Biombo in the crotch, getting fined. LeBron saying he'd pay the fine, and then someone did the math and figured out it would be eighty bucks because of Jones' short contract. Did LeBron ever pay that?" Um, so Pete, I will find this out. Um, we haven't heard it yet for sure, uh, but just so you know, this is how the who everyone knows out there. This is how fines work. Uh, when it, when you get fined, it comes out of your contract. I believe playoff fines come out of your next contract. If you're not on a contract and you aren't getting paid, it comes out of uh, you have to pay them or something. It's just it doesn't exactly come out linearly when he gets fined. So it's not something that was going to be taken out of his contract right away. Um, in that case, uh, so for LeBron to pay him for it, he would have really had to give Dante the money. I think I think that's how the money would work. And for LeBron, eighty bucks is not a lot <laughs> because uh, he is very rich. So I'm sure he maybe he did give it to him. Um, if LeBron said it, um, I'm sure at least he meant to do it. Or you know, I could see Dante being like, no, like that's because it that would be kind of a weird thing to someone to pay your fine if it's like eighty bucks. And Dante still made good money, even if he's not you know making millions upon millions of dollars because he's a vet- veteran guy in a minimum deal, a prorated minimum deal at that last year. So. Um, I don't know. I will get to the bottom of this thing. It's interesting as well. Uh it's something that was a very funny part of that playoff run, the title winning playoff run. So so yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out. Uh I'll come back in a couple of weeks uh once uh we, you know, the season gets going a little bit and it becomes more fun to ask those questions. Um we'll get there. So our last question today comes from uh Kevin Stankowitz who who asks um are you concerned now about point guard depth? Uh, there, are there any players available with the 2.2 million freed up from Mo's retirement that might actually they might actually be able to acquire? Or a second option, do you think the Cavs could use that 2.2 million freed up from Mo and offer to Jair Smith to make sure his deal gets signed and he gets into training camp as soon as possible? Kevin, that's a very good question. Um, I appreciate the question. Thanks for you know being someone who asked maybe my favorite question of the day. Um, so that 2.2 million is also going to save the Cavs' money on uh, on the tax bill before we kind of get into some of the possible things they could do with it. Um, That money was going to be taxed at two or three times the rate, depending on where the Cavs' salary falls, um, once everything has been solidified. And that is a good thing for the Cavs. Um, Saving money on the tax bill, even if it was already going to be lower this year, is a good thing. Um, Williams might have been dead weight anyway if he couldn't have played, so you're just saving money, saving money that... Maybe you didn't need to spend. So, um, the $2.2 million to me, I think it's better used on the second option. It is not a lot of money to increase J.R. Smith's offer. It is not necessarily going to solve other issues from what I understand about the negotiations, but... 2.2 million means if they offered him let's say a 2-year deal, they could split it up and say okay, we'll give you 1.1 of this this year, 1.1 of that next year and bump it up. So let's say he's at third uh, offering him 11 million, they could get him up above 12. Or if they're 13, they get him up to over 14 a year on a 2-year deal or they could split it up over 3 years and just kind of space out that money and make it more useful or they could front load the contract and give Jeremy more money now if they, that's what we wanted to do. To me, if they're going to spend that $2.2 million and use it for something and not just try to keep JR where they're at, I think, uh, keep JR what they're offering him, which they said was a uh, competitive offer according to David Griffin, that's the way to do it. To me, that is clearly what you would do with it. Um, any of the guys that you would look to maybe um, use to replace Mo Williams, let's say a Kirk Heinrich or a uh, Mario Chalmers or Norris Cole, I think could come on minimum deals. It is September. It is almost October. Um, guys in that position aren't going to be as picky if it's ju- as they would have been if it was middle of July. Um, they are probably just trying to get paid. They are trying to get in on an NBA team before the season starts and just get in uh, to a team and have a role before the season starts so they can get paychecks. They can get those guys on a minimum deal most likely. Um, they do have some other ways to pay those players if they wanted to. I believe they still have a couple exceptions or at least some sort of flexibility left, but they do not necessarily need to use those or use a trade exception to trade for a point guard. Um, I, I think you just maybe... What I personally would do would be to try to develop Kay Felder and Jordan McRae, keep those two roster spots that they have open because Williams retired and is not in camp, and try to figure it out and try to um the two roster spots just in general, even if J.R. back, I think. But get get a point guard that f- maybe fits down the road. You don't need to sign him now, but try to develop K. Felder. Try to develop Jordan McRae. Um, see if you have anything in them. See if you have anything in a Markel Brown or a DeAndre Liggins that you feel comfortable with uh, using them on your team. And then in a couple months, um, you know, once the season's developed a little bit, you see if K. Felder can play at that level now. You see how Jordan McRae handles real NBA minutes against real NBA rotations and not uh, late in the season against other bench guys, uh, then you maybe decide we want to do with the point guard. There is no rush to go and get those guys. Point guard is the deepest position in the NBA. There are a ton of good ones. There are a ton of serviceable ones. That's part of the reason why a guy like Cole, a guy like Rio, a guy like Kirk, um, guys like that are still free agents. They have value. Um, I'm not really sold on Kirk Heinrich. If I was going to pick one of those guys, I think it would be Cole just because he's the healthiest uh, but Rio's the best shooter, and but the Achilles injury really does scare me, as I've said before on this show. So um, I would wait. Um, you could use that money for sure, but I think you get those guys on minimum deals, and I think that money, if you're going to try to disperse it somewhere, it should probably go to try to get Jr. into camp as soon as possible. Um, and I, you know, I, it seems like this is really the only place Jr. is going to end up. This is the Cavs are the place Jr. will end up. So um, it's just a matter of time, and maybe it's a money thing, maybe it's a years thing. I'm sure once he signs, we'll get some sort of clear picture of that or once it gets closer to him signing, but we'll see. So that was all of our questions for today. I appreciate you guys for sending those in. Again, you can send those into our email at lockedoncavs@gmail.com at gmail.com or on Twitter to LockedOnCavs at locked Just add LockedOnCavs. I don't know why I keep butchering that. But thank you for listening. Um, just a couple quick notes. Um, we'll be back. The last two episodes this week are going to be over-under shows. Um, with Chris Barnwell, who's been on the show before. We're just going to go through the East and then the West on two separate shows, uh, going over-under on the teams. We're going to have an NBA history podcast coming up soon. Uh, we'll have another interview coming up soon, maybe two interviews, if everything goes right. Um, but we have some cool guests planned. I know we've been teasing that for a while, but as you saw with Matt Moore, we're finally getting those rolling. Um, and I'm really excited about that. I'm excited to talk to people who cover the NBA at very at a very high level. You can talk about complicated things and i'm really excited to just keep doing fun stuff with this show it's been a lot of fun we're you know over 40 episodes now and it feels like i just you know did my first one not too long ago so i appreciate you guys listening Uh, this has been lockdown Cavs. this has been chris manning we'll talk to you tomorrow